Welcome to Interscription. It's time to drink and smoke and be merry on our 21st episode. We discuss the announcements this week at Gamescom and the opening night live show, a house positively brimming with dragons, and what is worse, disposing of virtual waste for a living or having to play golf to save your soul, and how accurate is this battle simulator? Thanks for staying on this road with us. So we are back again. We made it over the 20 episode hump into episode 21. And I was realizing that I was just starting to rattle off on a whole bunch of nonsense that would be much better to do live while we're recording. That seems like a great idea. I think now that we've gotten past episode 20, everything is better. Is that true? Is that a, is that a scientifically proven fact that now that we're past episode 20, we just are better and things are better I, I think we've made it uh, you know uh, podcasts that make it 20 episodes make it uh, we're 21 we can drink now so uh, you know let's freaking party that's it that's it yeah uber home everyone that's the way to do it so i i know we were chatting a little bit um pre-pod you've had a bang up weekend uh, doing some real fanning some other fun stuff uh, in the philly area what have you been up to yeah, for sure. Uh, I got to uh, go down and uh, uh, visit uh, some friends down uh, down in uh, just past Philly. And uh, my son is uh, longtime listeners of the pod. Now that we are past twenty one, uh, uh, have uh, have known and uh, folks that know my family for sure. My oldest, being a pretty big uh, train uh, aficionado, uh, wanted to check out trains in Philadelphia. Uh, particularly, there's a great rail fanning spot in it is uh, at Fairmount Park. I'm not sure if you're familiar, you know Philly better than I do, uh, but Fairmount Park's a beautiful little spot there. It's kind of tough to get in and out of if you're just driving there, uh, but uh, there's there some pull-offs uh, right next to the water. We found one and got a chance to take some some great pictures and watch some trains go by, some SEPTA, some Amtrak, and uh, got to do that. Uh, and then started our sojourn back up north home and uh, stopped in Norristown. Uh, shout out to Dino's Pizza and Pasta, and delicious pizza, great service. Uh, it was a nice little spot that we stopped at in Norristown on the way uh, on the way back home, and uh, and then through some torrential uh, rains uh, coming up the turnpike and on the way home and uh that plus a sleepy tim is uh not a not a great recipe but uh got to do that uh so uh that was pretty good yeah um i might end up touching on it um, but a couple other things i got to do while i was away i got to uh catch up on uh of course house of the dragon is uh, was this past weekend mm-hmm. got to do that and also while i was away i got to uh experience baby driver the older movie that i haven't actually gotten a chance to watch before before yesterday so um, so I, I think I've heard of it, but it has somehow escaped my radar entirely. Uh, probably just because those two words together don't make me want to watch whatever it is. Definitely not. Yeah. That's, uh, that it is, uh, uh, Edgar Wright. Um, uh, I guess we'll, we'll, we can unpack it a little bit later when we, we talk a little bit about what we've been into, but, uh, it was, uh, uh, he's, uh, some of his credits, whether it be uh, writing or uh, directing or, or, or what have you, some capacity. I didn't uh, work through all of 
his capacities in these particular movies, but uh, uh, Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead and uh, also um, Scott Pilgrim uh, uh, mm-hmm. are, are all Edgar Wright joints. Uh, so you kind of have a idea for some very tight editing. Um, that's uh, that's sort of his bag. And this definitely this is a heist movie. For, uh, for to, not to be overly reductive about uh, about what it is, but uh, it's just a heist movie, just you know, bank robbery and heist movie. But uh, uh, the uh, way in which it plays with editing and music and stuff, really, really intensely cool. Not a lot that's done this. Uh, just the exhausting amount of editing that is required to kind of keep literally just about everything that's going on in screen in time to some sort of song or music for nigh on two hours just in an editing room alone must have been exhausting and he really nails it uh great little story lots of fun characters uh really good my i nothing but great things to say about it uh i it was in my shame pile for a long time several people told me to get to it uh eric uh who i went to go visit this uh, weekend uh found out that i hadn't watched it and then forbade <laughs> me from watching it until i watched it in his presence so so that was uh, that was part of the the commit for the weekend, but uh, so anyway, yeah, really good though. Um, and uh, but yeah, that was a uh, that was a good uh, uh, piece of my weekend. I was uh, we were heading out of the house overnight uh, on Sunday, so uh, I had this sort of. Uh, I don't know, attachment to making sure the place was nice and clean. So I, I ran around the house and, uh, you know, was wiping everything down and, you know, putting dishes up and just, you know, making sure that it felt nice to come back home too when I, when I came back the next day. So, uh, got out later than I wanted, but, uh, but that was, that was, uh, s- uh, Saturday or Sunday into, into Monday for me. And, uh, and finally got home last night and, uh, quite tired. So and didn't get uh, as much, uh, get to watch as much or do as much last night, but, uh, uh, that was me. How about you? What was your weekend looking like? Uh, it was a an interesting mix of two very polar opposite things. Uh, when you last uh, left me, you know, I was fighting the good fight against Piehole, doing some home networking, and I went down a bit of a rabbit hole and decided to stop fighting with my QNAP to do that and built a little mini PC and actually built my own router. So I'm running um, PFSense and uh, Pihole on a Proxmox build, and that is a whole bunch of glossy-eyed stuff that anybody listening to us is just going to glaze over. Uh, but it was a really fun learning experience and a really cool, uh, you know, a million times more about this than I do, but Proxmox is basically a hypervisor OS that you install other OSs on would be like the very reductive way of saying it. And so um, PFSense is router software that uh, replaces your home router. In my case, I have a Linksys router that just didn't give me any settings to really get under the hood or fix anything. And, um, you know, what was fun once I got over the, oh my God, my kids are watching YouTube and they're not going to be able to watch YouTube and then I'm going to have to interact with them or... <laughs> They're just going to yell at me until I get the internet back online. Uh, surprisingly, very little of that. Uh, it's got 90-second boot times on it, which is actually better than the Linksys. Uh, but once I got over that, I kind of had this playground to very safely install different machines and try different apps that I might not have played around with without breaking anything, which is very cool and very exciting. And in exchange for me being up in my office doing that, my son decided that Every other moment of free time would be playing um, Totally Accurate Battle Simulator. 
Tabs. Tabs, yeah. uh, which he discovered from YouTube videos, which means I did not do a good enough job breaking the internet. That's uh, right. That's right. <laughs> and yeah, this um, is completely your fault. You should have done worse. Right. Uh, and that is a game that is a lot of fun for about 15 minutes. Yeah. And then it is extremely repetitive and totally enticing for a six-year-old. Uh, is mm-hmm. I mean, I can't think of a better way to describe what that game is. It's basically like a real-time strategy with very limited kind of ragdoll interaction, but, you know, the AI is about as dumb as they come. Basically, whatever you place on the board will just charge in the direction of the other guys and shoot whatever they see. And so there's, as somebody who's always skirted the edges of RTS and you've tried to get me into some of the really good meaty ones and I've seen it watching you and watching the occasional video of actual, like, competitive gamers play in this genre... I'm not sure why Tabs exists uh, other than, you know, a parody of itself. I know there's some ability to design your own characters and do things like that, but the actual mechanics are just run at each other and whoever has more good guys wins. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. not a whole lot more to that, but uh, I offer that review having played about 16 hours of it this weekend. Whew. It was a lot, man. There's a lot of tabs. There's a lot of tabs. Yeah, the the my boys got a got tabs fever for a while and just you know come up with new builds of different characters and stay in the character creator for way longer than I can for even actual real gaming. And uh, that's not fair. I guess tabs is real gaming, just not <laughs> necessarily my bag. Uh, but uh, yeah, they. Um, I've had some pretty intensely cool uh, uh, setups and, and characters that they built in tabs, and they sort of unleash them on, you know, the various hordes that they'll paint on the other side of the screen and very red versus blue kind of thing and whatever. It's super interesting for that. Uh, the one thing that was mildly interesting to me is I had seen that run on an Xbox One S and a One X at some point, and then... Uh, when I upgraded to the Series X um, and had the, uh, you know, move the games over there. Um, Tabs is a very, is not a particularly visually interesting game. I mean, it's a lot of polygons and kind of, you know, rough edges there. It's not really meant to look, you know, particularly pretty. Um, But there's a lot of simulation going on, right? Because all these different characters with all these different uh, attributes and animations and whatnot all kind of clashing on a battlefield and ripping each other apart. And seeing that run on a Series X, it really shows you the delta in CPU power between the two consoles. Um, so trying to run that on a 1S is unfair to a 1S. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's surprising that, that it even runs on it. But um, I want to say that they also did a Series S and X aware patch for it when the consoles came out. Um, so they fully can uh, utilize the hardware that's in there, not necessarily graphics per se. Um, I'm sure the frame buffer is a little higher because you know, they can do that. That with the better GPU, but utilizing the CPU fully, you know, like throwing all the cores at it, throwing all the uh, the, the the speeds at it, I think really uh, impressive um, how much smoother it runs, how many more things can be on screen without it turning into a slideshow is, is, uh, is pretty neat. Um, but uh, yeah, it was... It's amazing how much that thing really wants to, to bang on your on your machine to, to, to work. It does. So. And, you know, they limit it to 30 characters per side. You know, that's not a setting you can adjust. To. It's interesting that it's the only setting you really can't adjust uh, when you're sandboxing and doing, you know, 1v1. And it makes sense because they are all ragdolling all over their 
would have loved, again, a little more attention to the AI in it so that different characters would behave differently and sort of focus on different threats. Uh, the one really positive thing that I'll say for my son is I had set up a, you know, we were playing against each other and I'd set up something that he just couldn't beat. And so I just kept saying, nope, I'm ready. Uh, you know, you want to adjust your guys. And, you know, he started off just very colonial era, you know, and two rows of guys are just going to, you know, fight like gentlemen. And mm -hmm. I eventually walked away and I came back and, uh, you know, he's six, he can't read, but he had Sun Tzu open. He's reading The Art of War. He's <laughs> He's got like his Machiavellian thing going on. Like he's calling generals. And I come back and he had created a guerrilla force where he'd moved all of his troops behind the buildings after running mine against his uh, while I wasn't there. He just kept, you know, hitting ready for me and readjusting, readjusting and cleaned my clock and I couldn't get it back. Uh, you know, he wow. saw the problem and just kept at it until he solved it. And I probably shouldn't be so proud that my son is a little war machine, but I, <laughs> you know, find what you love and uh, do it well. And if it's, uh, you know, winning on the battlefield, that's just what he's got to do. That's what he's got to do. Yeah. Did um, were you guys doing it on the series S or X? Yes. So now that you're saying that, I definitely want to take it upstairs and see, you know, if it gets a little shinier, because uh, it does choke a little bit, and he likes to go into first person and grab one of the guys because you can control one person at a time, and as soon as you do that, it just starts to choke a little bit on the S. Yeah. Interesting. I, I'm just wondering when you said like it's thirty versus thirty. I, I didn't. I don't. I didn't look at and do not have it off the top of mind whether that limit also exists on the X. It might just be hard-coded to the series consoles instead. I, I'd, it would just be interesting to see um, if you move it, if that if that is a limit that just opens up, because there's a little bit more CPU headroom right. um, There's a, uh, that's added to the X, but it's but not quite as much. I think you get more RAM and you get more GPU when you're stepping up more than CPU, if I remember right. If I remember right, um, I think the GPU, uh, the CPUs are fairly similar, just maybe slightly clocked higher on the on the X. Um, so it may not, it may stay at thirty. It may it may choke at the same places. I don't know, but it would be an interesting little science experiment to see what happens. Yeah, no, I'm super interested in it. I, again, my weekend was either doing that with him or being in a command line, and so you know, it was just uh, action packed. The yeah, whole time. yeah, I can't. Uh, I, I wish I had uh, other languages that I could speak fluently, so I could just say your weekend sucked. And it's was shocking. I, I, wow. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I, uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to uh, kind of. Uh, also mentioned too uh, for our pending uh, podcast here. Maybe we'll move it into the news section when we get there. But uh, uh, there was uh, a couple of uh, uh, things today. I, I meant to kind of say this at the top of the pod, but here we are, just kind of we're hitting the road here. Um, uh, there's today was and this week was Gamescom, uh, so there was uh, there was some uh, some announcements for games mm -hmm. coming uh, next few months and into next year, and uh, and uh, had some some commentary about that. That uh, there's some rumors going out through the weekend that I was reading in, in between you know whenever i got a chance to hit a twitter feed um also more fun than a command line or <laughs> tabs but uh but. I, yeah, I, i've never been looking forward to a break and coming back as much as i am right now because you're right yeah. i need to redo on the weekend <laughs> yeah um but uh, there's some really really cool stuff uh, that uh, that i actually saw so we'll try to compile that and get that going um but yeah that was uh that was uh that was about uh that was about it for my weekend when i had and well, why don't we jump into a quick break and we'll jump back with some of what we're playing and get into some news.
Sounds good. And we're back, and we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been playing, watching, enjoying. Uh, you had a good point you were starting to get into about kind of the way we're handling these, uh, I don't want to call them homework assignments, uh, pleasure assignments, but sort of picking games uh, with the idea that we're going to talk about them here and not just kind of in our daily chats with each other. Yeah, absolutely. I we had talked about uh leading from the previous recorded podcast into this podcast uh some newer games that i th you know I, I thought would be interesting for both of us to kind of poke at um and the two that we actually threw out were um cult of the lamb and cursed to golf and so uh as as you mentioned uh with with uh homework um and you know with the quotation marks around it um i i, I think that uh I, and i coined it as homework when i when i first started but i, I think um stepping away from that terminology I, I think that uh you know the idea that that uh we can get some more current uh games you know that you and i can kind of play and sort of keep keep with some more you know fresher uh, uh titles that are happening right now and uh I, we've had some conversations over the past several weeks about how there's a bit of a dry spell in terms of gaming and and the good news is when we lift up a rock here we, there there are more games than than initially meet the eye for as many things have, that have been delayed there's lots that haven't too um so we had picked those two uh in particular i think that uh for us and for our life and as we're kind of you know working through uh our our newer structure of our pod that uh, we we won't necessarily have like fresh games every single week i mean there are ones that are going to be incredibly short um but i think you know games are just a longer commit of time uh for the most part than a tv show or or a movie um unless you're you know binging 10 hours of netflix in which case we That's don't right. really have a good excuse but uh but if um we have a quote unquote homework assignment for a game, you know, and you have one and I have one or just one of us has it or whatever. Um, it's going to be a longer assignment for us. We will be we'll be uh, kind of picking through it over the course of a few different weeks as we unpack it and get to the end of however much of it we're going to experience and play. Um, I do like these particular ones and I'm looking forward to unpacking them in a second with you because I, I think that they are smaller affair uh, in, in terms of, 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 of gameplay than, than maybe yours, your Assassin's Creed's or your, you know, any big old uh, open world uh, collect-a-thons that, you know, are, are, uh, are out there. So they have a much more, uh, even if the difficulty might, you know, add some additional hours to it that the actual uh, meat of the games aren't particularly long um, so that you know makes them sort of manageable for us to have as homework um, so that we can talk about those and then move on to the next one so roughly I'd like to say every few weeks hopefully we'll be able to kind of cycle these out whether or not we play these in the background afterwards you know I don't want to beat a dead horse with with any anything that we're talking about on the pod um, with the exception of Cinnabon and Antien's pretzels we're definitely beating that, that horse but, correct. Um, but besides that I, I think we'll uh, uh, we'll try to just you know keep Keep some fresh, fresh blood in the in the uh, in the uh, in the in the pod when it comes to, to titles and games. And speaking of fresh blood, oh. what better game to talk about? What better game to talk about <laughs> than it. Cult of the Lamb? And I pass on to you. I love it. That is definitely a top ten segue. Uh, I have. Uh, I, I'm just sitting in awe. So yeah, I was. Um, 
kind of excited and a little nervous about this because it mashes up some things that I enjoy with some things that sometimes I find a little tedious just to, on the splash screen. And, you know, to your point, I do like the idea of us kind of getting a good chunk in, talking about it, doing either mid-game or an end-game kind of redux when we get through it. It's uh, as long as we're getting a good chunk when it's fresh so that people know. So, you know, for this, uh, you know, my initial take is I installed it. I looked at the Steam entry, 7 of 10. No, I got a solid few hours into it. So basically Cult of Lamb, Cult of the Lamb, is a roguelite kind of game where it's an isometric uh, action game you're sort of dungeon crawling not unlike Hades or the um, the one where you are a crow which is which is a raven, uh, death's door death's door uh, you know you're walking around the world and you're slicing very um, Legend of Zelda -y, uh, in terms of like the tunicness of it all and, you know, if you die, you get reset and you can go back and do more dungeon runs. The catch of this game is it, instead of a crow, you're a lamb. And the story and the art is really something. Uh, right from the intro, they really grip you with this kind of uh, Animal Crossing-like look, except it's very satanic and bloody, but, you know, the animals are all just unbelievably cute and adorable but you're building a cult so you are the lamb and it is your cult and the whole idea is you're trying to unleash this devil that four other devils have locked away and they end up being the bosses that you fight the way you're building the cult and the way you power up your guy so you can do ever more extensive dungeon runs is by city building basically with your cult you are doing kind of that rts thing where you're telling your cult followers who you're collecting by going into the dungeon and attacking to collect, you know, rocks, chop down wood to get you resources to build things. You've got to pick up their poop. You've got to do all of this stuff to maintain your cult, and they all have different attributes. So somebody might really not like poop and be a germaphobe, and so they're not going to be as productive if you're not scooping animal poop all over the place. Someone else might get hungry easy or get really put out if you don't have a sleeping bag for them. But then you are indoctrinating your cult, and so you power up by collecting their praise, their adulation. As they worship, they're worshiping at your altar, and you're collecting that, and that's what you're spending to go through your skill tree and permanently mm. power up your dude. So it's a really interesting conceit, and the stuff I was worried about is sometimes I just don't want to pick up poop. I've got uh, two school-age kids. I'm kind of over that area of my life, and mm -hmm. uh, you know mm -hmm. the poop picking is best for someone else. But sometimes that resource management, the permadeath of the people in your cult, uh, it squicks me out a little bit. I don't like having to do the whole Tamagotchi thing where I'm like hyper-focused on making sure everybody's taken care of. Did I go and visit this character? Did I give you a gift today? Did I give you a gift today? Did I get you your blueberry bowl and did I get you your sleeping bag but they make it very light and they put a lot of guide rails on it to tell you who actually needs your attention without making it overly burdened so that the core of the game is still doing that dungeon crawling story driven kind of excitement uh, I love it. it you know it's a ton of fun playing it on the steam deck uh, some of the text is a little small, and that's uh, kind of what they say in the Steam Deck is the disclaimer, which I think we talked about on a prior pod. 
every single game should have adjustable text sizes full stop uh mm-hmm. even uh, i was testing spider-man streaming from my pc to get some of that ray tracing goodness the other night and the text when i run it on the steam deck is perfect even setting all of the resolution and everything else the same from the streaming it's all blurry and small with the analysing and really almost no way to read it i had to go back to playing it natively even though it looks a million times better uh, so it's just like I think that's table stakes and hopefully that's one thing that the Steam Deck and if it sells well, people will realize that there's a market for handhelds and developers will just put that text slider in. You know, it's an accessibility mm-hmm. issue, but it's also good. So this was readable. You know, nothing was really offensive in it. Uh, and the core action is a lot of fun. It's simple. The weapon drops are very much like Hades where, you know, you're getting one weapon and you may power it up or get different drops throughout the dungeon run and it's somewhat randomized and you get one ranged weapon and one shooting weapon and then you can range you can shoot or you can stab things you can shoot them and you can dodge and that's pretty much the whole mechanic so it's simple but there's a lot of cleverness into how they approach it and the different bad guy types and there's definitely a rhythm to it i wouldn't quite put it at hades level but, you know, I think that's just an exceptional game that has an exceptionally tight gameplay mechanic. And even Death's Door doesn't quite get there, despite being very enjoyable. And mm-hmm. Tunic doesn't quite get there, despite being very enjoyable. But that game had, you know, merit beyond just the core mechanic of running around, swiping your sword. Uh, but it's probably a lot closer than either of those two to Hades in terms of getting a really tight action mechanic. And I think that's something that could have gone the wrong way since they put so much work into the, you know, cult building, like resource management part of it, that it almost could have been an add-on. So, so far, really enjoy it. I imagine it can't be more than about a 20-hour game to get through the four bosses and get through the story. So uh, looking forward to finishing it. Maybe we'll be talking about it again in a week. That's awesome. The uh, and Have you gotten a chance to beat any of the four bosses yet, or are you uh, mounting to one of them? I did. I The first boss you face is actually Leshy. Uh, same huh. character from Inscription. Uh, mm-hmm. Same. They're all popular de- demonic gods uh, from, you know, lore. And so, you know, he is a tree-ish uh, boss, uh, you know, very woodsy. Uh, and yeah, he was a handful. Uh, but got through them uh, surprisingly quickly. You know, I haven't really faced too many deaths yet. Uh, I don't know if I need to up the difficulty. I just started with the developer's recommendation. I I don't think I'm masterful at games like this, uh, but I do think the, the difficulty curve of it is tilted a little more generously than some other games in this genre because they really want you to experience other things and not get frustrated early going. Hmm. Great, great. So very good. Yeah, yeah I love it. And um, go, yeah. And what about uh, the uh, performance on the deck? Seemed to be pretty good. Uh, flawless. Yeah, everything that I'm saying about the type mechanics are due in part to the fact that you know there's like just no latency in action and what you're seeing on screen and being able to dash around. Uh, so far, it's been locked and performant. You know, I've had. No complaints, no hiccups. I want to take it for a spin on the PC to see how it is. I always kind of like doing that A and B, but it's really kind of a, because it's not a graphical wonderland, it's really a perfect deck game. You know, it's the sort of thing mm-hmm. that 
you'd want on a Switch or a Steam Deck to just have to go and let's do a dungeon run, which each run is maybe 12 minutes or so, 12, 15 minutes, and so you can do a run uh, when you have a few minutes to just pick up and, hey, I just want to play a little bit. Amazing. So um, amazing that I love that about Hades in particular. Like I, I think especially with our lives and you know kiddos, jobs, all that kind of stuff. And I never mean to say that as a crutch, by the way. I know sometimes that comes up when we we talk about reviewing games and reviewing content and stuff like that. But but I do appreciate the pick up and play. Um, I as a kind of sidebar, we've talked about some of the kind of cooler technologies that have happened in gaming recently. I think uh, SSDs, right, NVMe SSDs, like really cutting out a lot of load times that you know. Some, when you go back to Witcher 3, for example, and you're loading up the game and you're talking about three and a half minutes before the thing is even, you know, in front of you and uh, old GTA games and stuff where you're just like staring at a loading screen for a while before you're even playing, right? Um, and, uh, you know, always big shout out for a quick resume on the on the Xbox and it seems like Steam Deck has got a similar kind of thing for kind of rehydrating a game and so some version of quick resume too, right? And um, Really kind of love that because then when you marry that with something like a Hades or a, sounds like a Cult of the Lamb as well, where really all you want to do is just, I've got a half an hour, I just want to do a run or two and then go to bed or a yeah. run or two and then, you know, you know the pizza's getting delivered or whatever, right? Um, what a great place to be in gaming technology, right? To just truly rehydrate the game that you're playing, unpause it, get in there, do a run, get back out and go get on with your life and not have to be waiting, you know, huge swaths of time just to get into it. So uh, what, a, what a cool game. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Demonic Lambs, uh, great art style, great direction. Um, yeah, I'm going to absolutely step on a rake on this segue, but we've got Demonic Lambs and we have curses of golf uh, we definitely had a very dark theme this week with our assignments so uh this was a tough one because you kind of gave me dealer's choice on this uh, on which one we were going to take on and they both looked really good the reason i shied away from curse to golf the curse of golf curse to golf curse to golf curse to golf was mm. that it kind of looked like the binding of isaac only you're playing golf <laughs> yeah, uh, on the back of the tin, that doesn't sound great to me. <laughs> yeah, uh, Krista Golf. I, uh, as uh, somebody who uh, has uh, really never been particularly interested in the sport of golf, um, I have been to a big boy driving range exactly one time, and during that time, there was alcohol involved. Uh, uh, full disclosure, but I actually threw my club directly into the air, uh, <laughs> thinking that I was swinging the club, and uh, uh, so. Golf's not for me. Uh, the, in terms of sports, there's been a couple that I've enjoyed and played to some degree of success, uh, but golf is definitely not on that list for Tim. Uh, uh, so that said, enjoy the occasional bit of putt-putt and some fun around that and uh, and, uh, and miniature golf. But uh, I, I, this was interesting to me because I, I, there's such a kind of goofy fictional take on the, on the sport, right? Um, so very little in terms of simulation, of course. Um, it is uh, kind of a... 16-bit-ish. This is the, I guess we're going to call it good pixel art and bad pixel art because we, we, we do always uh, perpetually come back to that conversation of whether or not uh, pixel art is amazing or not amazing. Um, I think this generally works quite well here. Um, very good animations, uh, crunchy pixels, but in a good crunchy 
and uh, just so just to kind of uh, lay out the uh, idea of it, it starts out with a, a televised broadcast uh, of a golf tournament that's happening, and you are a you are one of the greatest golf players to ever live. Um, and at, and it is uh, there's a, you know little blurbs going on in the bottom that it's all it's all text. There's no voice acting in it, but uh, it's uh, you are. You are playing the final of 18 holes uh, at a golf tournament, um, and uh, it also serves as the beginning of, not the totality of, but the beginning of a tutorial to actually show you how to use your driver, your iron, your wedge, um, and how to, you know, do that as you're kind of, which is wonderfully clever um, to kind of start, but it's showing that. And as you get to the end of the 18th hole and you're just about to sink it, um, a storm is kind of gathering during that bit of the tutorial and uh, lightning strikes hits you and you drop dead. Uh, and when that happens, your ghost actually flies down to uh, golf purgatory. Um, and uh, in golf purgatory, you are a, um, you are a ghost that has to uh, fight through 18 holes of golf purgatory to get back to your body to finish that tournament um and so that's the setup um the first the, the remainder of the tutorial happens um at, at, and they at the once you're in the underworld there um and um uh, some lovely sight gags, really. Uh, there's a, a turn of tea um, golf store um, with a <laughs> TEE at the end um, th- that you uh, kind of start out at the at, at the at that part of the tutorial. Um, there's a, a Scottish demon that's down there that's uh, teaching you how to play. Um, he actually runs Eternity, um, and uh, he uh, is kind of showing you the, the 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 bits of it. So um, this is uh, this is a flat kind of two D sort of side scrolling um, presentation. Um, but because it's a golf game, you're not moving your character; you're hitting the ball. So that's how you move around. Uh, so then you will warp to the next place where you're where where you're hitting it. Um, each uh, each hole that you're playing at uh, has a par that you're assigned um, and so for the uh, the the tutorial demo piece it starts at like a par four I believe par five or par four um, and you are you have to think about it like a, a side scroller a la dead cells or what have you where there's platforms and, and places to go for, you know and you're you're basically starting at one point and you have to get through that level and all sorts of hazards that are not you know normal hazards to get to 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 uh to sink the the ball um really cool stuff as you're learning how to use the clubs right there's that piece uh you have your uh intensity and then angle for for the the three different types of clubs um you also have uh cards to play uh, which is pretty neat uh there's so you'll have uh it'll shuffle you out say you know six cards i think during the the tutorial bit and there's a uh, one like uh, add two to your par for example so make that that round easier if you decide to play that card um another one is a practice shot that you throw the card down and that means you get to you know do a practice shot without affecting your par and see what would happen um uh, there is uh, some of those hazards there's tnt uh, on uh, as one of the things on the board and so one of the cards you throw is to actually explode the tnt without having to hit it um and so so it's a, there's this very cool bit of strategy right like the idea that you have a par means that that really translates into turns right like there's turn-based games that you only have x amount of turns to play right, right. so what a perfect analog for par in, in, a, in a golf game 
Uh, so uh, fun. Even the tutorial itself was challenging. I can imagine over the course of 18 holes, this thing is going to get pretty hairy. But um, I, uh, I want to put a special shout out to the music. Um, I know that it is it is tough and a bit saturated in these days to find chiptune music uh, that is uh, catchy and clever and appropriate and works well. Um, there is the track. Um, I think it is. Uh, I have to go look at it. I actually went and spun it up on Spotify because I, I enjoyed the track so much. During that tutorial, once you get down to the underworld, um, then you have that kind of Scottish ghost demon guy that's tutorializing the, the piece there. Uh, there's a, I think it's called a four, F-O-R-E, fortuitous meeting, it's called. Um, and it is... Um, it is absolutely a hot banger. <laughs> it is a, it is a great. It's got it's got a little bit of spooky music going on in the background. It's got a little bit of like this kind of like Scottish theme that's going on, and and it's got a little driving beat that carries the whole thing. Insanely clever, very listenable and fun. You know, in that cool kind of eight sixteen bit sort of crunchy way. Um, definitely, I know you've uh, mentioned it maybe briefly here in the pod, and, and certainly between you and I. But um, there's sort of this like coveted place among uh, the analog synths where there's certain chips that have this like crunch, right? Like this crunchy sound yep. um, that that's. Uh, uh, and you you had mentioned to me that there's like uh, older chips from you know uh, older consoles and older devices that are being harvested and put into analog synths just to get this very specific flavor. Um, and flavor is such a great uh, feeling for good chiptune music to me, right? Like when it when it hits the right way, um, there's a flavor to it that's just so specific and sounds so wonderful. Um, so uh, for that alone, um, you know, don't know that that necessarily. I would, you know, it's worth twenty bucks. I mean, it's twenty bucks on uh, on uh, uh, Xbox and Steam and PlayStation and everywhere else you can get it. Uh, Switch as well. I think it's just about everywhere. Um, and twenty bucks for the game alone, just to get a soundtrack, is worth it. But uh, but also it being an incredibly fun game too and also in some ways kind of uh the one analog i would, I would draw to cult of the lamb uh you know from from the perception and what you've described there is it's great to have this thing broken up into 18 holes right because you really that the, they become it becomes a roguelike it becomes something where you can do a run on you know on a on one hole and finish that one up and just you know pause it and come back later so um uh, but overall, uh, really fun, really looking forward to digging into it. I did get uh, into the first hole um, after doing all the tutorial bits and kind of understanding where I was at. And uh, uh, so I'm really looking forward to kind of unpacking that and having that one kind of similar to uh, Cult of the Lamb, having it kind of in the wings or like a Hades where I could just fire it up, do a hole and then, you know, or do a run at a hole. Hopefully you'd be able to knock it out and then just, you know, suspend it on quick resume and keep keep moving to whatever else I was doing. Um, but uh, but really really great stuff. I, I I'm very happy for for this assignment too, and it it, uh, it worked out really well. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. So, are the 18 holes the 18 levels in the game? And uh, you know, like what is the playtime? So you know, par four is it like? Can you do a speed run and get through one of those levels in like 60 seconds, or are they just more involved and kind of bigger and meatier? 
Yeah, I, uh, that's a great question. I, I'm sure that as I go through it, I'll probably, you know, I'll have more more to say about it because I'm sure they'll they'll probably play with this idea over a course of 18 holes. But um, but certainly, if you were that good, I mean, it's really as quick as 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 tapping the a, a button to to choose your power and tapping the A button to choose your angle and hitting the ball. And you've got you know, if it's par four, you've got four shots at that to get to the hole, and then you're done. Um, there's all sorts of bits in there that might make it take a little bit longer, um, but it can take as long as you want to because you have a birdie cam so you can actually kind of move around the level a little bit to see where you would be shooting you know to get a little bit of an idea there um you know if you play a card or a practice card or whatever then of course you know that's going to add and um, if you play a card that adds to your par again you have more there um and then i guess how many runs but sure uh, the, the answer is is at least in what i've seen so far like you could burn through it in 60 seconds and be done if you were that good um but i would imagine they probably have some pretty pretty heinous and clever stuff coming Coming up, you know, to to make that no a doubt. whole lot less, uh, to, or a whole lot more than sixty seconds, and a whole lot less easier. Yeah, it, it seems uh, having not touched it that uh, if there are you know twists and growth to uh, you know when you think about you know four moves on eighteen holes, like that could be an incredibly short game. And short games are great, but mm-hmm. you know, a game that you're finishing in under sixty minutes might not be quite as good and so it sounds like they've got all of this kind of exposition and my gut is telling me you're probably going to get some twists in there where it's not going to be strictly a one-to-one kind of one hole is the whole game uh sure so really excited to see where that goes and yeah the um sid chip from the commodore 64 and the uh Yamaha FM chip out of the Sega Genesis are the two that I know and love for just crunch and digital. Uh, well, the SID chip is actually an analog synth on a chip. The Mega FM, the FM chip in the Sega Mega Drive or Genesis uh, is a digital FM chip, but it's got very low um, quality digital analog converters that really add to it in the way it processes sounds. It gives you a lot of that heritage crunchy stuff that i'm gonna have to go geek out on this soundtrack and see what they use to compose it because it sounds like it's not your typical nintendo knockoff flair yeah absolutely it is interesting to see i would love to just if you get a chance to to spin through the soundtrack i haven't gone through all of it because i did want to it's part of the discovery of the game right like i don't want to uh go through all of it without having you know played through some of these boards first but um but definitely as you kind of sample it i would love to get a more general take from you on what you know what i mean like what it feels like they're doing there and and uh it is it it really kind of i don't want to oversell it for sure i don't i'm not some sort of chiptune aficionado that knows every last ins and outs of every last chiptune song that's been written and how it's been written and how it's been created by any means and nor do i have the under full understanding and breadth of analog sense that you do but i would say one of the things that i always marvel at even when i go all the way back to some of the more seminal stuff that we grew up with with the with the ness you know around super mario brothers and 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 zelda and metroid like things that had this like the original final fantasy on there you know and there's like um, there's a, a creativity um, that that seems to come from the limitations of those platforms, um, where it felt like it was it was actually a, a blessing in disguise for some of these composers to have such a limited palette, right? So that they could figure out what to use in here that can approximate these uh, instruments in a in a 
clever and and uh, and really fulfilling way. Something that has, is very percussive, something that that has great movement, uh, that's recognizable, that has a theme that moves a whole bunch. Um, you know, to this very day, my seven year old son, all the way through to people we know and ourselves included, can hum along the Super Mario theme song. And if you hear it, the first couple bars, you can finish it right. Like so, like that's having it. that, and that's just good composition too. You know, and catchy composition. I'm not taking it away from the fact that that's also just you know well done music and and the fact that it's an earworm and that we played far too many hours of it uh, to boot but um but but i think um but i think when i hear something like this um and it's really just got this great driving beat that like feels really good it's got a good theme for what's going on on screen it, it feels like like the, the care that went into it is just uh is very rich it's like a very rich feeling to it you know for for the almost sky's the limit kind of ability for uh what we can actually have in terms of 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 sound design and games right uh and and movies and everything else right um to to take a deliberate step back into you know crunchy analog synth world right um and have a reason for it right not just because there's pixel art on screen because they didn't have to do that right like there's definitely been pixel art games that don't have chiptune um but i think that like great uh but to lean into it in such a way that you are utilizing all of the fun of that music you know and all of the the great um creative constraints that that bear such wonderful fruit i think that's a, a really special thing that can happen when people really lean into that and love that um as opposed to just saying well i would have written this with a 50-piece orchestra but oh well i guess i'm doing chiptune again you know like you, sometimes you'll that's also hear right. chiptune stuff that sort of feels a little bit more like that where it's just like well you know this is that 16-bit game i'm working on so i guess i'm going to use something real crunchy with some sawtooth waves and you know and that's what i'm doing today um but there's some people who'd love it you know who love that that creative limitation and and, and thrive within it this to me in my you know less than educated opinion of it and like this to me feels very much like that they loved the assignment they they produced within that assignment really well no and that really what a perfect love note to having just globally the right soundtrack to the right thing you know cuphead with its jazz swing music background despite being a very kind of cartoony thing you know they really knocked it out of the park too and so it doesn't have to be chiptune it's just you have to have that love. Uh, you know, we always come back to the idea that you know, people buy 80-inch flat-screen TVs that are, you know, 8K TVs and listen to them through a soundbar or through the TV speaker of that, like, millimeter-thick panel that they're watching. And it's just so transformative if you get the right soundtrack to the right game. Um, yes. You know, I promise this won't become a Spider-Man show. This is the game that, like, in the background, I'm going to just be playing in the Assassin's Creed kind of way. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, as I think we talked about it very briefly a week ago where you said you hadn't played a whole lot of story, but, you know, you unlocked everything there was to unlock in the city. You know, you've got all the little dots. And I thought I had done that, too. And then I played another story mission. They're like, well, here's four more things to go unlock throughout the city. And the whole game is just a, like such a collection OCD. I, it is very much the crackdown agility orb of got to catch them all. I cannot gotta rest until all. I've got every last one of them. Uh, but that's got that one bit of music, and it's very repetitive the more you play it. But every time you start doing Spider-Man stuff and swinging throughout the city, they just bring on like the full Marvel superhero soundtrack the second you start swinging. And yeah. you're like... 
I am the friendly neighborhood spider. Like I feel it. And <laughs> it's not a lot of yeah. music, but what's there works for that moment in that environment. And it's just so nice in all of these games to see that they get the assignment and they're not doing the thing. They're not doing the gag just because that's what they were told to do. I think mm. some of that comes from giving your composer a little bit of artistic freedom to say, this is generally where we want to go, but I'm not going to dictate what music you write. And I think some of mm. the ones that feel a little flat may not be great composers, but may also be the head of the game studio, whoever is directing or you know the head developer saying, no, this will be this kind of chip tune because this is what I want out of the game. And sure. you know, I think finding somebody who aligns with that. Tunic was another one that had really you know perfect music for what it was. And perfect. Man, yeah. So Crazy. many times it's a miss. Uh, Want to jump into a little TV if we can? Yeah. Um, yeah, let's do that. Because I think we both checked out the premiere to House of the Dragon. House of the Dragon. Yeah, we sure did. Uh, so I watched this just last night. I think two nights ago uh, with Steph. Uh, I really kind of snoozed in the fact that it was even launching, which uh, given that it's HBO and the marketing machine just means uh, I'm the one that's wrong because I'm sure they told me about it on every billboard and uh, everywhere. They they actually flew a dragon to my house uh, for a promo and uh, yeah, just <laughs> stepped over it on my way <laughs> into the house. Uh, yeah, can you please get off my lawn? Curled its little dragon lips at me and growled a little bit and I said, no, 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 shoo, shoo, shoo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so... You know, Steph was all about it, and she was about to, like, show me the trailer for it. Like, did you know there's, like, a Game of Thrones prequel? I'm like, no, I've heard the good word of uh, of George R.R. I, I am familiar. I just didn't know it was tonight. She's like, well, you know, let me check out, let me show you the, I can't get this to stream. I'm like, or we could just watch the episode. And so mm -hmm. that's what we did. Uh, I liked it. I think it's a bold move to jump on to lore in a very popular TV show that is based on a very popular series of books that will never be finished. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, boy, and did he ever have a, a lead time? I don't know if we ever talked about it on the pod, but I mean, the idea that uh, he the show is eight seasons? Eight oh. seasons, I think it is? Yes, it is. Um, and that last season and a half finally ended up leapfrogging the books. I mean, that's almost 10 years of television. So um, he did have noticed that we were we were coming and uh, was not uh, not really uh, not really all that interested in finishing nope. up that book. I mean, writing books is hard, I guess. But uh, uh, but man, that's uh, that's kind of crazy. I, I um, mentioned I had you know gone to see Eric and, and we, we watched it with him. He's a great uh, I think I made the joke when I was there. He's a great pop up uh, MTV pop up video for this kind of thing, because uh, <laughs> anytime there's a, a new house that they're they're referencing or there's a new you know character or somebody that he can just tell me who that is and who they would be related to in the eight seasons of television I watched before. Uh, because I absolutely would have missed a few of those if he wasn't there. So it was uh, great to have him around. Uh, highly recommend having an Eric in the in the wings for lots of things, and certainly when it comes to to Game of Thrones spinoffs. Um, yeah, it's it, it is interesting that uh, you know we're done with Game of Thrones, and and yet George R. R. is not. And uh, there is a and Eric told me the name of it and I, I'm sure the internet can correct us here but there is a there's a book that George R. R. wrote in addition to the the mainline Game of Thrones books that was 
not necessarily like the Cimmerellian from J.R.R. Tolkien, but it's it's like a series of like like songs and poems and short stories and type thing um i don't have a lot of detail about that because i didn't know it existed until eric told me about it but that references a lot of what we know about house of the dragon okay and so that's where this is from um so why that's relevant here is because when you go with game of thrones and through eight seasons for a vast majority of it until we leapfrogged the books and just had to you know finish out the show right with that last season season and a half there is a lot of the book that was picked up rightly so because it was based off the book but was lifted whole cloth from the book right like uh, conversations and battles and things that were already written and they were just being televised right um well with house of the dragon that isn't really the, the case anymore because that they're like there's there's really not the same like it isn't a written story it's just you know again like songs poems sonnets you know whatever like that are referencing some of this stuff but it's much more light a light touch you know that just sort of suggests some of this old this older business that happened so a lot of what we're seeing on screen is is written and it is actually like created it's not being screen written from prior work it's really been it's being created whole cloth you know these things just didn't exist at all from george R. the last time that happened was the last season and a half of game of thrones which was the worst of the eight seasons it is really scary um, so right and like that 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 can you know it's a it's a bit uh uh mind-blowing to think about that you know the last time we didn't follow his Bible, we had a, the worst version of what we had, right? Um, so I wasn't sure how this would turn out, you know what I mean? Particularly having that backstory from uh, hearing that from Eric. So um, so that, yeah, I, uh, I I would say too, I liked it. I, I think I put a eight out of 10 on it, um, which is very close to me not having watched it at all. That's right. And I, uh, uh, I, I, I was um, glad to have watched it. I thought there were some good performances in there. Um, we have dragons fully fully rendered, and that's that's always neato. Such um, good effects budget on them too. Like really very believable, good mix of the physical. When you've got like Matt Smith up close, like snuggling a dragon, and then when you pull out to the CG that they expand, they really get it kind of flawlessly. Which is something yeah. that team has yeah. always done, like with their city and world building too, where they just mix the real and the CG uh, better than a lot of motion pictures. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Great, great, super talented team there. I am wondering, uh, I'm wondering how much I'm going to care about this story kind of as it gets close there. Um, I, I said that about Better Call Saul and, and uh, I, I was able to step away from Better Call Saul having been very happy that I watched it. Um, and yet going into Better Call Saul, I, I was questioning whether or not it was w- it was worth it to have this big spinoff with all these characters that were either more fleshed out or introducing new ones that then had to be dismissed or however that was going to work. Um, and I thought they did that masterfully. I don't know how many tricks you have in that bag um, when you're trying to do a prequel. I think at some point, like you are shackled by what what is eventually going to come to pass. Um, so, uh, but that said, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I I felt like and. I felt like maybe maybe some of the sex and violence was uh, needless and gratuitous in a way that like I don't know that I remember it being in Game of Thrones. I think it was more contextualized in Game of Thrones in a lot of the times that I experienced it. Um, this felt a little bit more like oh, it's time for the brothel scene and we just pivoted to that. And I don't know that it really offered anything like it was 
it was a bit weird um, at the in, in, in pacing for me. Um, not offended as much as just it felt like they they didn't contextualize it at all. And other than to say, well, yeah, this is a Game of Thrones show. Of course, you're going to see, you know, body parts and blood. And like, that's what you're going to do. That's what we do here. Yeah, um, that's so. always been kind of a gag with HBO, though, hasn't it? And I think there have even been actors who have complained that uh, the studio has a quota of nudity and violence to fulfill their historic roots as a quote-unquote premium cable channel that wasn't bound by the ratings boards and could do this and I agree with you maybe I'm just getting stodgy as I grow up but uh, I do want context and story and not just hey we haven't had enough nudity in this episode can we shoot this scene in a brothel just have a whole bunch of people bone in Sure, yeah. why not? Like, I'm totally with you on that. Like, that is not necessary at all, as much as maybe some of the earlier sex scenes in that particular episode were a little more relevant, but then you just kind of threw this out there. And I, they are a powerful streaming network that can do better on that and bring us compelling content. And yeah, I'm just an old man. A seasoned man, as you've said. A seasoned man. That's right. So I'm with you. I, I definitely am. I think it's a weird way to start a series since some of the leads they're going to replace with new actors for the second episode. Hmm. Uh, you know, they're aging up the daughter of the king for the next episode. So that is the only episode we'll see her in. Wow. Uh, and that's, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, I mean, Matt Smith is still going to be Matt Smith, and most of the older actors are still going to be, but they're going to age her up for next episode. So this was kind of like a prequel to the series in that sense, and that's a bold move. Uh, um, mm -hmm. Got a little trepidation to see where they go with it. Uh, the one thing I'll say, having finished Better Call Saul and feeling like it was an absolutely beautiful coda for those characters, uh, the way they ended their stories uh, and not to go into a huge Better Call Saul thing but you know compared to the way Breaking Bad ended in one of the only ways it could have because we knew dude had a terminal disease when the show started so he wasn't going to make it out alive and you know how they ended it made sense for him with these characters that wasn't really the case and so they painted a picture that the last time I felt so satisfied by an ending that didn't really end the character was The Shield. Mm. Uh, you know, I, mm -hmm. I thought the way they ended Vic Mackey was brilliant in that show. I mean, what a fantastic series The Shield was, but Better Call Saul felt that way of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what a wonderful way of handling the anti-hero that everybody loves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, you know, with that in the back of my mind, the one thing... As you just said, Game of Thrones ended very poorly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, we all know at this point, a dragon just got annoyed and said, you know, stop it. Just go home. It's over. Mm -hmm. And that was it. That was the Game of Thrones. Uh, but there was also, to me, the bigger slight was a very unsatisfying end to the entire thing with the White Walkers. And dealing with this you're already dealing with the very prequel nature of it in the first episode where the light you know there's this one scene in the first episode where the king is saying to his daughter here's the big thing and it's all about the thing that's going to happen 172 years from now and mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. that's when game of thrones takes place and so it's alluding to 
the threat from the north and the tower and all of the, and the wall and all of that and kind of lamely because I wasn't satisfied with it eight seasons in you know they mm-hmm. sort of just went away and didn't give us satisfaction as to how they got there why there were zombies in this medieval fantasy dragon show and now the whole thing is going to be about that my hope is in some of the ways better call Saul expanded on characters that we loved in very satisfying ways and deeply enriched their stories which I think it did maybe this has the opportunity to fix some of those broken pieces in how they misstepped in the lore of Game of Thrones and give us uh, even though it's a prequel a more satisfying ending Mm. that is possible that is possible I think there was I think it's fair to say that Better Call Saul did uh add texture like i think there were times when i felt like what happened there um enriched characters that i already thought were great characters you know not specifically just saul but other characters too like you you whether it's smaller cameos or larger parts in better call saul they feed breaking bad's characters in such a way that like they have more dimension later and that is possible here they could do that here they could they could make some some bets and some choices that would make some of that feel a little bit better later on um it's tough because i do think that it was very content light and effects heavy in that last season to season and a half of of game of thrones and so there isn't much to hang on you know like there's not much to to drape on top of um to begin with i mean it is frustratingly vapid at parts there so i i think uh it might be difficult to add all of that, um, particularly because of how far back this is. I mean, this was 172 years so uh, prior to Daenerys. So I think however far they they advance the clock for this next episode, like we're probably still got a long way to go. So I think a lot of those characters just don't exist. And so I don't know how much they're going to be able to do that. Um, but maybe, but maybe I'd, I'm not going to take away from their creativity. They, they, they could totally do that. And I would love that. I think that would be a fair thing to do. It's a bit of a responsibility for them, but it's, it's a fair thing to do. I'd love to see that for sure. Uh, definitely. Uh, so should we take a quick break and come back and do a little Gamescon and news? Let's do that. Let's do that. See you on the other side. And we are back for some news. We finally have some gaming news. Uh, So I know you're kind of clued in. You watched uh, some of the announcements for opening day of Gamescom. I sure did, yeah. Uh, So uh, I was... uh uh, kind of knee deep in some some server work on my day job today and uh, thankfully not phone calls uh, for the afternoon uh, for the most part so I got to uh, kind of have this running in a postage stamp w- window on my desktop while I was uh, while I was working through some stuff and so uh, I went on to polygon.com just to uh, grab kind of a, a, uh, a summary if you will of just all the games that uh, got announced at the the presentation uh at gamescom uh maybe i should back up here gamescom one of the i would say three and maybe that's being reductive of some smaller ones but one of the three major e3 type uh shows every year um e3 itself excuse me not being as uh 
as as much as we've talked about that on the pod before is it's not being as, as big of a thing as it was before and having been canceled in various years and moved around and changed um there are two other shows that happen every year um or for the most part in some version whether they're virtual because of the uh, pandemic or, or otherwise um and those are uh gamescom which happens in cologne germany and tokyo game show which as the name uh, implies in and around tokyo um and so uh, this week um, kicks off uh, Gamescom over in over in Germany, and to start Gamescom, uh, Jeff Keighley, who has uh, found himself uh, very well positioned to take over all uh, major uh, gaming events uh, throughout the year, uh, and uh, hats off to him. I mean, the hustle uh, that that guy's got, he is he is there when there's a gaming event. He figured it out, and he has positioned himself to be the de facto. Um, uh, master of ceremonies for almost all of these shows now i, I uh, it's rather rather impressive to see where that guy came from to where he is but uh um in any case he has a show uh that is his show uh at gamescom and it is called opening night live um and that is where uh that is what uh, happened at it started at 2 p.m eastern uh, uh and uh, kind of ran for about two hours um so i'm going to pluck out a few things from uh, jeff keely's opening onl opening night live show um and some things that looked interesting i will not go through all 30 some uh games that he went through uh some of them just probably aren't that interesting to, to either of us and therefore don't really need a whole bunch of pod time and uh and and that but uh i'll go ahead and uh, I'll rattle off a few that i thought were pretty interesting uh, bits of news that i found interesting and then we can kind of pass the ball back and forth for that sounds good so um the there's a couple I'll, I'll rattle off a couple of the, the first few games that popped up that i saw um one called everywhere um and uh that seems sort of interesting I, I don't the teaser trailer was very it is pointed at 2023 um they are building an open world um as the name might uh, suggest uh, it seems to be uh the developer is build a rocket boy um and they seem to i don't know what their pedigree Agree, as I, I believe that might be some industry experts kind of coming together to make a new studio there. Um, that seemed to be a theme for a few of the ones that were announced today, uh, but it seemed to have it seemed to have a very kind of open world looking uh, build, but lots of different. It's almost like the net was cast very wide where you can have uh shooting and driving uh, it's not necessarily on planet you can go up to space i mean it, it seemed like they were casting their net ridiculously wide um so not really sure where they're going to go with it um it was a little bit too big of a teaser trailer to really get a beat on what the gameplay was going to be but um that was how the show kicked off um there is uh, another dune game um hmm. i guess kind of capitalizing on dune fever with that movie that that the rebooted movie that came out on uh, on HBO Max, uh, yep. stay and date with theaters. Um, this one's called Dune Awakening, um, and it is going to be a survival open world MMO. Um, so I don't imagine that's going to be a whole lot that you and I are going to get into. But uh, there, there are so many words in there that do not appeal to me. Man, oh man, yeah. And it was a CG only trailer too, so I really don't have much to hang on with that. It was just <laughs> saying they're making that, and is really all that did. Um, it uh you know so not sure that you know that'll have much to do with us neat looking trailer for sure i mean that universe uh, i i'm not familiar with the books personally but uh, that universe in terms of all the movies that have 
taking a shot at it um, has always been really uh, intoxicating. I see why it continues to come back and be rebooted in the sci-fi world as, as difficult as it probably is to translate the books as it seems because they all seem to have different takes on the, the source material. Um, it, it is it does seem endlessly fascinating what 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 the source material says. So I see why games would want to uh, take advantage of that as well. Um, there is also a Dune uh, 4X kind of game that that's that's out uh, or is not out. It is in alpha, I think, on PC um, or alpha or beta um, on Steam, perhaps. Um, and uh, so there's a couple of Dune games in the in the hopper right now uh, trying to get out there. So that's that's sort of interesting. Um, there is the Hogwarts Legacy uh, game that's coming out, the one based on Harry Potter. Um, that actually got a date, uh, February 10th, um, so that will be nice. in 2023. Um, that is uh, going across uh, previous gen and current gen consoles and, and PC as well. Uh, and Switch, as a matter of fact. Um, looks really cool. I know that part of my shame pile is is not, I haven't really done a ton of uh, uh, Harry Potter in terms of I haven't read the books and I'm only about halfway through the movies. Um, so I, I meant to ask you about that for you. Have you done all the movies and or um, how have, have you done any of the books, all the books, and have and finally has that uh, hit your kiddos at all? So... Yes, some and some. So I did all of the movies. Uh, I was already, I think, dating Steph for the back half of the movies, and she was a big Harry Potter fan, and so kind of hooked along, and I think we also saw the uh, one of the following series, Fantastic Beasts, uh, in theaters. Uh, I don't know if we've caught up on the second or third in that series yet. Uh, so really always loved the the lore and the storytelling in it uh i have read i think the first three books with my daughter and stopped off uh, the fourth book uh, gets very thick and very heady and we stopped because i reached a point where i thought it leapfrogged where she was at the time and we just haven't gotten back to it but you know read through the first three books and they do kind of grow as a kid like each book does get a little more complex, a, a little more interwoven. Uh, as the characters grow up, so does the writing. And so I see why it's kept generations of children and young readers uh, captured as they've gone through and, uh, you know, enjoy those books. I, I think it's a really cool universe. I do think, you know, Fantastic Beasts has kind of shown, much like some of the other content that we're talking about, that there's more to that kind of wizarding world than just... Uh, a little kid with a lightning bolt on his forehead and mm -hmm. so I'm always a sucker for taking universe and expanding it so I'll be very interested to see where something like this game goes magic can just be hard to do in an exciting game and mm -hmm. I think you know without getting too heady you get into different worlds and you have different magical systems uh, uh, depending on whether it's gaming or different bits of lore uh I think the Harry Potter universe the has a very easy magical system for gaming because it's just wands and words, and so it's very easy to have a castable character. So it'll be fun to see you know where they go with a serious game. I know there was a Harry Potter game back in the 360, maybe that was pretty terrible. Mm. Mm, that sounds familiar. So, I don't think yeah, I played I think it, but that sounds familiar. The universe deserves a good game, so hopefully this is that. 
Yeah, yeah, it sounds uh, yeah. The trailer does seem like they put a lot of love into the the graphics engine and everything. It looks it looks pretty great. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how how well it hews to the universe and and whether it's it's good. Uh, scrolling through some of these, I'm going to skip through them. Um, Dead Island Two uh, actually got itself a uh, got itself a trailer. So uh, one of those the original first person uh, uh, zombie games. Uh, so Dead Island One, I think, was very um, was very sim ish. I think you and I had talked about on a pod um, that that there was a couple of zombie games. The the one that you had thought initially I was talking about was the. Uh, um, the one that Microsoft is is funding from Undead Labs. It is called what's the simulation one? That's a third person mm. game that you tried and wasn't too crazy about. It's right mm. on the tip of my tongue. Dying Camp, uh, Campfire Zombies, uh, Zombie Light, uh, Dying Zombie, Undead, something. It is State of Dead Decay. Island. State of Decay. I was. State of Decay. I just had to keep cycling through. Dead death stuff. and dying stuff and we would have gotten there we would have gotten there yes this would have been three times longer of a podcast with that, but we would have gotten there um yes uh so state of decay so this was kind of the other right when we were having a bit of a gaming zombie resurgence this was the other one when this was a first person game uh dead island one happened um there was some sim elements and some um uh crafting elements and i think breakable weapons and some things that made it I think on the face of it seemed like it'd be interesting, but actually made it a little bit difficult to kind of play and sort of took away from that first person action feel. Um, the, there was a team that broke off from, because I think that was uh, Deep Silver was the publisher, maybe. I don't want to get too into the the, the, the history of this one because I'm probably going to have to check some names here. But basically there was a split off from the development of that. And uh, the split off from the development actually was the team that made Dying Light, um, which you have gotten into very recently. That's right. Um, so instead of doing a Dead Island 2 back then, which is almost 10 years ago, um, wow. it was... Uh, uh, they uh, pivoted off and wanted to make a, a more action-focused version of Dead Island and, and as opposed to the direction that Dead Island 2 was going to go. Um, and so they did they did uh, Dying Light, which you've played, you've, you've had some commentary on, yep. uh, is got some really cool parkour action or elements. It doesn't hew too close to that that simulation part that makes it a little bit of a drag, which is which is great. Um, so anyway, Dead Island 2 kind of coming back here. This is that mainline Dead Island game. Uh, it's supposed to be out in February of 2023 also. Um, range of consoles there. Uh, seems to be pretty good. Uh, it's a little bit goofier um, than, than uh, Dead Island. Um, they seem to want to have a little bit more fun with the zombie part of it and not be quite so dour. Um, so... Uh, not much else to say on that one just yet, I, you know. But the fact that they announced it eight years ago and that they're finally uh, gonna uh, ship it is is really a, a big old thing. So uh, good to hear there. Um, so let's see. Let me let me pop through a couple more. Um, they gave a final date for Callisto Protocol. Um, this is uh, Glenn Schofield. Uh, his uh, his his studio. He was responsible for the original uh, Dead Space. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so I guess it's, I think it's, man. Um, yeah, I don't remember his, uh, his studio name now. It's escaping me. But um, so he has made something that is definitely not called Dead Space, but is definitely Dead Space. It sure um, is. 
and uh, boy, he uh, he he is. Um, it looks beautiful. Looks amazing. I am very excited about this. It is. I believe it's next gen only, which is going to be very exciting. Um, ships on December second, um, and so uh, looks really really good. I'm I'm excited to see that. Uh, Dead Space One is high up there in terms of some of my favorite games in terms of how successful it was and what it attempted to do um so that looks really great um let's see what else we got here um release date for gotham knights um which is kind of the next open world uh i will call it an arkham game even though it's technically not an arkham game because it's not supposed to have batman in it and it's kind of fast forwarded into the future um but it is one of those games it is a third person action uh game this one has a hook because it's got co-op in it it's got you know several characters playable characters you can choose four of them um and uh i guess they didn't quite have the release date uh tamped down because now it's october 21st which is earlier than what they thought they were going to be able to do um this one is also next gen only um really looks pretty sharp this last trailer actually did a lot for me to get excited about it i have been pretty lukewarm on it uh so this looks great i'm, I'm, I'm looking to see this and uh, and how they how they pull it off yeah and certainly a big sucker for anything bringing in that co-op catalog you know it's always something where it's kind of slim pickings and so you know this is in the batman version of the dc universe sans batman co-op kind of i mistakenly and i think i'm wrong early on had kind of a army of two vibes that game that was out a couple years ago whereas um very kind of cerebral combat uh, kind of goofy co-op for stuff and I saw a little bit of this trailer today and I guess I'm kind of dispelling that and it seems a little quicker but I guess I was just thinking about the other Gotham games that we've had that were much more plotting and strategic and you know how they were going to work co-op into it but mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to this one yeah this would be good I, I uh, interesting I, I thought that this was interesting that they took they had the last gen versions planned, uh, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, and they, they canned those. Um, so I, I think some of their vision actually just can't be fit into the hardware anymore. And I'm, I'm glad we're kind of getting there. I mean, it is now, we're gonna be hitting right two years. Is that right, two years this year for, for the new consoles? Yep. Um, it'll be the end of this year. So it, it's about time, right? Like, I mean, I understand like the business realities of needing to support both platforms for a while just because there's a huge install base of Xbox Ones and PS fours uh but i think also like those creative visions have been limited for some time with those kind of rather wimpy cpus that are in the old old uh consoles so uh so good to see that here you know and them making a conscious decision to say hey we just can't we will have to so creatively limit our vision that it, it isn't going to you know translate well so looking forward to that uh some other things here um uh, where winds meet uh, winds uh meet it is uh there was a world premiere trailer during gamescom for that that looks pretty great um it said the song dynasty um uh, was it kind of uh focusing on that definitely got some fictional stuff going on too in terms of you know more supernatural elements but uh got this uh great sort of uh uh bombastic uh asian action movie flair from you know historical action epic uh, look to it um great graphics don't know about platforms for that one yet but uh did did look pretty great um for uh, on the playstation side ghost of tsushima came out a couple of years ago and i 
think it got uh, patched up for for PS5 and uh, that one in terms of open world uh, you know uh, and uh, action games really uh, appealed to me the uh, the the flavor that they had there around uh, uh, kind of they they I guess is they, when they patched it up there was even a um, like a, a Kurosawa filter that they put on top of it so you could have like a like a black and white kind of neat looking uh, 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 graphics filter on top of the game was uh, great so i uh, was hoping that one would also come to pc after spider-man and i imagine that it will at some point um and it seems like sony's really kind of you know uh, all in there um and um so anyway so not having failing having that at this point you know this uh, this might actually beat ghost of tsushima out and i uh, would love to love to kind of sample that that uh, that historical asian action epic uh thing with with this if i can't get to ghost of tsushima um, Definitely. What did you think live? about? Go sorry, ahead. I want to jump in on you know the the news story that matters the most to me. This new Sonic game uh, looks absolutely terrible. That's a rough one there. Yeah, um, they that did get a date as well, right? Didn't they say uh, November eighth? November eighth. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, oof, that doesn't look great. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't look great. It is really just a rather generic looking open world and it is with it the is worst simply, character choice for that ever yeah like I, I you could put anything and anyone in the open world that they created from my eyes in these trailers it looks i mean it doesn't look bad from a graphical fidelity standpoint but uh but quite generic i mean it feels like um, and actually another one um, that felt kind of like this for me too, that new Kirby game that came out. I think you said you did get a chance to play that. Yeah, I, I mean, I played a little bit of it actually at your house uh, with your son and then That's came right. home and uh, repeated the same process. And both sons, uh, six and seven, seemed to enjoy the game just fine. But man, it is just warmed over. We have some, you know, Mario style, you know, 3D third person environments to use. So I don't know. You want to throw Kirby in them? Cool. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Never. Just, uh, which is a shame because the last Kirby, the 2D one, um, Star Friends, uh, was so fresh and exciting despite being a very easy game to play. It was exactly kid friendly, neat world design, neat character design. And now they just made it 3D and like Nintendo 64 style 3D in. 2022 not great and that is definitely the vibe that i'm getting on the sonic which is we've got the ip we're you know contractually obligated to use sonic once every two years for something and do we have anything in the can we forgot to make one this year yeah yeah that's right that is what it feels like yeah that yeah I, I just there's like nothing identifiable about that world at all and i want to be wrong i want to know that maybe they had this great vision for this really cool thing that just looks generic you know because i haven't played it yet but but boy they just i mean there's been several trailers now and i am not getting it i, I don't feel like that's a that's a good one so i mean the, you know with it being properly dated now at november 8th i, I maybe 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 uh, but it just seems like the press is you know that has got a chance to do some hands-on before now it seems to be pretty lukewarm on it too so i don't know i don't know i think that one's gonna be yeah that's a that that's one that sort of that sort of shocked me there for sure um trying to look through there's uh just a couple others here lies of p um so uh pinocchio um except very dour and serious um and turn it into a 
uh, Dark Souls uh, game. And, <laughs> and that mean, is just definitely an assignment. That is an assignment. It is. Uh, I mean, it is serious. And this is coming from somebody who is very serious about an awful lot of things that he shouldn't be. I think they are being too serious, and they need to lighten up. It is very, very serious. Uh, lots of you know very important and uh, you know gravelly voices and 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 long stares and you know I, I, I am I am blown away by how serious they are at, about a riff on Pinocchio uh, I I don't get it um, it will be on Game Pass when it comes out so it won't be a very low barrier entry yep, to download it right and price. find out how serious it is but. But boy, I'm not sure about that one. I uh, I think they they do need to chill out, man. <laughs> it is too much. It's too much. They are they're very very upset. Did uh, you check out anything about the um this Tortuga Pirates Tale? I know I loved Sid Meier's Pirates. You love um I'm blanking because I have not slept enough. Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves. Yes. Uh, so. Is this somewhere in between those? Like, what is this game other this than is a CG? The Lies of P one? Um, no, 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 no. Tortuga, Pirates Tale. The, the Tortuga one, sorry. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, I missed it. Um, I actually, I think that that actually ended up getting shown, I could be wrong about this, but I think that actually got shown as a commercial in between opening Night Live, which was a little confusing. There's a couple things that got uh, right. foisted as just advertisements. Not that any of these aren't advertisements for upcoming games, but, but truly, like, so... I didn't actually catch that one. I, you know, I really was only sampling the things I could pay attention to, and you know, while I was uh, you know working through server stuff today. So, I don't know. I, I saw a very brief bit of it. Uh, it's weird. I, it seems like it came out of left field for me because there's also Skull and Bones from Ubisoft that's coming out this year, and that finally got dated and is coming out. Um, and so it seems like there's this like glut of not glut. I mean, there's a couple of them, but we already have some pirate themed games, and um, I'm not sure where that one's going to fit. I I didn't really hear about it until today, and and only saw a brief bit of that trailer. Uh, not sure, not sure. I don't I don't have a lot on that. Um, did you see anything on it in terms of platforms? Because I don't I don't know anything about I, it. I saw Switch, and I think PC. I don't know what other consoles it's coming to. Um, have to try to find it. Uh, yeah, I didn't see anything about Xbox, and I'm trying to look it up now just to really grip my notes. Uh, but at least those two, but we've got Steam Decks now, so anything that's PC is way more accessible than it was. That's true. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. We, we'll maybe we'll see if we can do a little more digging between now and next week, and we'll, we'll talk more about it, um, because it would be interesting to see where that fits into the... Uh, how many pirate games does the industry support? Um, so we'll, we'll see there. A um, couple other ones. I know we're running a little long on time, but I'll just uh, rattle off a couple. Um, I, I know neither of us have really been much into the Telltale games, the adventure games, but uh, they have one that's actually based on The Expanse uh, that's coming out. Um, and uh, that looked pretty good. It's summer of 2023. It's pretty far out. I didn't realize it was going to be quite that far, but, uh, but it does look pretty cool. It is... Um, uh is her name drummer is it the one that uh she's one of the the belters uh sh um do you remember which one i'm talking about she's not not uh, that was on the not one of the main characters that was on the uh the the rossi but um she was the the belter that um kind of 
in that last season, she sort of went against uh, everybody else. Um, I thought her name was Drummer, but I, I don't remember. She's uh, uh, she had sort of a thick Belter accent in that, and mm-hmm. uh, kind of some really hard lines in in, in in her face. I don't remember her name now. Um, boy but it it centers on her character and it looks like a prequel uh that was about her um uh, you're gonna have to help me with her name Uh, i Um, i'm not going to this is not this game only works in the reverse i have smoked way too much weed and the only thing i know is that i am pretty sure i was totally mistaken that she was on the new star trek for a little while uh Mm. until i had to google and find out they're totally different actresses Got but, it. So um, then you're not you're not going to do this, no, I, this I'm, game. No, I'm I'm not here for this game at all. I I know the Rossi and I love the show, but no names and places. No, no, thank you. Kamina Drummer. That was that was. That I was, was just riffing until you got to it. I'm amazed that you remembered that without googling at all. I never Google things ever on this show <laughs> at, at all. Never, it's never even happened. Um, yeah, they, but they uh, it looks pretty cool. I, I'm not a Telltale adventure game guy by any means, but I, I think that some of them, I know I did a little bit of the Walking Dead one, and that was pretty good for the time. Um, so this does look good. I mean, it, in terms of the footage they showed, it seemed pretty good. Um, so that's coming out next summer. Um, and then one more game, and then just a couple bits of news. Um, uh Madhead Games and Prime Matter are coming out with something called Scars Above instead of Stars Above, uh, a science fiction action game. Uh, very well trailered. I think that that really was it was near the end of the show, and I think that that looks very interesting. Um, just some pretty generic setup initially about you know we think we're alone in the universe you know what i mean and and then all of a sudden this pyramid upside down pyramid looking structure appears above the earth and uh, you know you and a team of people are sent out to go investigate and it's you know pretty weird and full of monsters and and whatever but the tone of it really felt like they captured what would be interesting about it i, I don't want to say it had dead space vibes exactly because i think there are different flavors and what they're trying to do but i think dead space one does a great job of that sort of like we're gonna show up at this very you know this this very unknown place with very unknown things going on it and uh some of it has a bit of a hard taste to it and seems uh pretty cool in that way so really looked interesting i, I don't think we have platforms or dates on that one yet but i, I think it trailered well I'm, I'm looking forward to that um so that was it in terms of titles I, there's definitely more i just ones that you know seem to resonate with me the most um, were there any others that you saw that you want to chit chat about uh, before I hit a couple news bits? Uh, there was that one um, uh, WYRD something that is uh, by the folks behind uh, Dragon Aids and uh, Fallout and Oblivion that got a whole lot of buzz that looked, uh, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of trailer to it, but as far as an announcement of People I hold, I, I like a whole lot, and games I like a whole lot. Making a new game and pulling a title together, I'm sure I will play that. What is it? Weird song, is Weird song, uh, yeah. what it was called. Um, yeah, I mean it's another new Bethesdian, Bethesda Obsidian, Bethesdian uh, mm-hmm. title. So it's definitely going to be up my alley. Uh, I just didn't see a whole lot about it other than, yeah, man, I will play that as soon as it drops. 
Yeah, just uh, it was a, just a CG trailer, I think, when they dropped there. But uh, but you're right. Yeah, that pedigree is they they rattle off I think like five different studios and and they are studios slash games that all of the creators have worked on. And yes, they are all games you have played and have achievements for. So I think <laughs> that's, that's exactly that right. Is, that is going to be whatever they come out with is probably going to just pre-install on your Xbox. It will be waiting it. for you when it comes out. It's um, actually one of the new um, pre-install features. Is it, it clears seventy hours of my calendar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I had a meeting today, but I guess not. It's just more word no, song. That's weird. it. Just some grinding. Yeah. Got to get that invisibility spell figured out. That's it. That's it. That's what you got to do. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, a couple of quick bits of news. Uh, I know, again, we're running kind of long here, but uh, uh, Jeff Keighley is... Uh, a notable PlayStation fan. He uh, doesn't really hide that bias much anymore now that he's got some bit, pretty big britches in, in the in the industry. But uh, definitely leans blue on his uh, on his console. Love major and, Neely. And, yep, that's it. <laughs> yeah, he is major <laughs> Neely. That's right. Yeah, um, but uh, he um, so he actually got PlayStation to announce their uh, Xbox. Uh, Elite controller. I saw uh, this sort of. I mean, they teased their Xbox Elite controller, and that really hurt my feelings a bit. Yeah, so like, yeah, that was a little bit. Right, there's like stuff on it. It looks like they're shaking up. They're not doing rear paddles, but they're doing something below the sticks. Yeah, they did show like a sizzle reel that shows like I think they are going to have a place for paddles. I don't know if it ships with paddles, but it looks like it's going to have paddles as well. Um, it really does look a lot like that. I mean, it looks like they're going for the I mean, right now, if you want to do that on a PlayStation, you have to pay scuff for somebody an inordinate amount of money instead of Sony, um, which I'm sure is going to charge an inordinate amount of money for this thing. That's right. Um, it, but uh, it is. Uh, it is uh, basically, for all intents and purposes, if you've seen an Elite controller from Xbox, you've got uh, sticks that can be replaced for different sticks and paddles that can be replaced for different paddles and you know some adjustments you can make for tension of various things. And um, it seems like they're doing one of those um, and which is, you know, pastime, right? Like, I mean, they make excellent controllers, the PS4 and PS5 controllers, and the uh, Dual Shock and Dual Sense, right, are great, excellent controllers. They finally kind of refined that, I think. Um, I'll always be partial to Xbox just because I've used it more. I think the split sticks make more sense for me, but um, but largely, I think you know, I think they really um, they they've refined the version of the PlayStation controller to be you know iterated on in a way that like kind of lands where it's supposed to be. Um, got to play with a DualSense, I don't know, a handful of months ago, and I I totally get the appeal. I see why they you know the 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 bits of haptics and stuff that they have in there are great. Um, it actually made me come back to my Elite uh, and. And go into the Xbox accessories app and actually turn down some of the vibration because um, I realized the one thing about the Xbox controllers is that it's very the the vibration is very uh, uh, assaulting on your hands sometimes it's very uh, uh, violence not the right word but it is it is uh, it is uh, not subtle in any way um, Whereas I found there's a great level of subtlety to the to the uh, rumble uh, bits that are in the uh, dual sense, um, and so to do that, I, I obviously don't have it doesn't have the same fidelity in terms of, of rumble and and uh, haptics, but but to actually turn it down so that it felt a little bit more like you know like 
a little bit smoother and a little bit nicer um, yeah. you can do that in the Xbox accessories app and I actually did that solely after picking up a DualSense one time because it is it is a more refined feel um, and so I wanted a similar thing at home um, so I did that so I, I, this is you know this is just the punch for punch kind of thing that you know the the two main rivals in the console space are, are doing and I had no doubt at some point you know Sony was going to build one of these and I'm glad that they did I think this is you know furthering the the industry it's a great it looks like a, it'll be a great controller if it is just a dual sense with more paddles on the back that's Fantastic. awesome that's a, yep. that's a great thing to do um so looks good be interesting to see the pricing on this and and if that pricing puts the screws to microsoft to maybe bring the price down a little bit into what an elite costs elites are very expensive um i think what what is the cost on the elites is 180 or something like yeah, that like 199 good. sometimes down to 189 but it's, yeah it's a, a boatload of money and the reality is they did such a good job on the series controllers uh, in the slightly more compact form factor that I end up grabbing one of those more than I do the Elite. You know, it's just, oh, really? it's lighter, smaller, it's uh, nicer to hold, and I love the Elite. I love the paddles. Steam Deck's gotten me back into paddles, but some of it is just opulence for the sake of opulence to be Elite, you know, to live up to that moniker, and I think there's probably room for an elite mini and that would be where i would like to see microsoft go you know depending if sony prices aggressively and competitively and it does force uh, you know a tick to that talk that's what i'd like to see a slightly smaller slimmed down elite that has some of the adjustability maybe two paddles uh, you know the thing with the paddles are they're a little too sensitive they're too floaty so if you're resting uh, I just don't use them as often. I usually take them out because the way I hold the controller, I inadvertently trigger it. The Steam Deck has finally done paddles the way I wanted them done. Mm. There's enough grip so that when you grip them and use them like paddles, they work. But if you're holding the Steam Deck, there's enough resistance that you're not accidentally triggering it. And it's a very nuanced thing to get that right where you can hold and rest without hitting the button while you're resting, but also not feel like you've really got to just like choke it out in order to get it to register. And so, so far the deck has been the first controller that I felt has really nailed that. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, the Elite was the only game in town before that, and I loved it for that because if you're playing a game, whatever it is, if it's a, especially a first-person shooter, you want to keep your thumb on the right stick. You want to be able to always look around. Uh, I had previously, when Halo specifically, always bound you know my controls so that I was using the shoulder buttons as much as possible for you know jump and crouch and different things, so that I just didn't have to touch the face buttons unless I was selecting a new weapon. That's what paddles are for. You know, you just get a level of precision and comfort that you don't get otherwise. Spider-Man, it's my um, two shoulder buttons, actually. I found, like, really comfortable to put on those rear because you're using it so often to swing that having it where your hands are less, where your fingers are resting is just better even than, like, reaching up to the shoulders constantly. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I embrace, uh, you know, welcome to the resistance, Sony. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to see what you do. I love that we have nothing but excellent controllers, uh, you know, yeah. none of these are dogs except for the Switch, which doesn't even have analog triggers. And I, I give up. They still sell billions of consoles and more than anybody else. Yep. <laughs> yeah. There's. Uh, so yeah. I don't even I'm, know how to... in, in closing, I'm wrong about everything. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's uh, that's something. There's a bit of Sony news too um, that that there's a rumor based on uh, digging around in the Spider-Man files as we're talking about Spider-Man and talking about Sony. And we'll jump in here with this real quick, um, just as a rumor right now because they haven't announced it, but it seems evident that in the files for the Steam install of uh, Spider-Man that uh, Sony will potentially be looking to have the PlayStation Network on PC um, so that there will actually be a friends list and that kind of stuff that will float with you. Nice. Um, that's another welcome to the resistance thing. Microsoft has had, you know, the your Xbox friends list over here for many, many years. So um, I, I would imagine, you know, I, I would imagine this is sort of a table stakes thing. Like they're, if they're going to be on PC, they're going to have to find a way to make that more of a seamless uh, association between the two. Right. Um, That's right. So uh, interesting. I do think, um, you know, I have not been shy about, you know, how much I bleed green for, for in the console wars. And I'm, I've definitely been an Xbox guy for some time. Uh, I think one of the things that Microsoft has been f fairly uniquely positioned to do is to allow that sort of uh, seamless uh, transition between the PC space, which is where my gaming actually started long before having an Xbox, to your console space and like kind of floating back and forth in ways that have always been sometimes nerdy, but always very clever. There's always been clever ways to have your Xbox and your PC talk for years and years and for generations and generations in different ways. Um, and so so whereas Sony has had an incredibly well-selling and, and, and well-put-together console year over year and uh, with some great exclusives, but it's always stayed in that world, right? It's always been, this is just where you game. You game on your PlayStation, and as soon as you leave your PlayStation, there's really no great way to interact with it, right? Um, yeah. Even the apps, it always kind of, the uh, PlayStation apps on phones have always been a little bit kind of second tier and not, you know, really, um, you know, nothing that would really embrace anything outside of that, right? When you had a, a a mobile experience with Sony, they just sold you a, a PSP or a PS Vita, right? Like it's just a another console, and and those things didn't ever talk very well, right? And if you had a Vita and you had a PlayStation, they were never really uh, associated particularly well, right? Like it was just these are just two separate platforms, and and uh, that stuff is hard. Don't get me wrong. And Microsoft having a platform like Windows, they've been positioned to do that much easier. Um, so that said, I I really want to you know, round of applause for Sony to at least be considering how they can responsibly kind of transition into this PC space and realize that locking everything into a console and never being able to leave that console is is not really the future, right? Like we're gonna, you know, with, with apps going on TVs now and, and people being able to pair their controllers to web browsers and stream things from the cloud. I mean, there's, yep. it's kind of a different world, even if that stuff isn't high fidelity and if it is, if it, even if it isn't ready for prime time today, um, I do feel like that's the way that all successful companies are going to have to lean, right? Like they all have to start pushing towards this thing follows you where you go and not necessarily just sell you a product everywhere you are. Um, so uh, really excited that that Sony's looking at that stuff. Um, you know, PlayStation uh, DualSense uh, support on the PC is here already, you know, in some, some great ways. So, so more and more, I, I'm excited to see that for them i think that uh you know puts the screws to microsoft to 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 innovate here again you know what i mean to push to, for the next piece and and uh, that war is always good for consumers like us so i'm i'm totally. looking forward to see what what happens tomorrow with that yeah no and that's what they have to they have to think you know what does gaming look like in 2032 and uh, plan for that and uh, we'll be here to cover it We'll be here. Yes, yes. Uh, episode 140, I was told. Yeah, that's exactly how we'll do it. Mm, that's it. Um, 
for short last uh, bit of podcast news that is not our podcast and i uh, am reticent to ever talk about uh, anything that's not our podcast um but uh, <laughs> um also the one thing that uh jeff keely talks about when he's not talking about playstation is hideo kojima and uh, uh he <laughs> is a big big fan of that guy and uh hideo kojima has a podcast that's coming out in september um and it is exclusive to spotify um and uh it is gonna <laughs> be in native japanese there will be real-time uh uh english translation uh, and dubbing uh, on top of it um that's going to come out um he is going to have drum roll please jeff keely do a section on his podcast from time to time so uh, so confusing as to why that got uh, announced today right uh but uh oh, wow. anyway yeah, I mean that of, sounds uh, like exactly what the price for getting Jeff Keeley to announce his podcast was, um, sure. which you know I'm very pleased to announce that Jeff Keeley will now have a segment in our podcast, uh, and I think he'll be um, announcing it on Hideo Kojima's podcast. That's right. That's right. Yep. That's right. That is the inception of podcasting. That's how it's going to go. That's it. Yeah, for sure. So uh, anyway, the funny bit at the end there. I, yep. I uh, love I it. Do, uh, I'd be interested to listen to a couple of them and, and see, you know, what, what gets dropped there. I mean, uh, it seems like that guy's kind of doing everything but making games sometimes. I don't know what's, what's going on. Yeah. But, but he, uh, I mean, he is a, a rock star in Japan and in the gaming community. You know, he's just royalty. And so he is kind of this larger-than-life character in a way that kind of transcends the idea of being a game developer into just being a rock star for what he does. And so, you know, we kind of laughed when Microsoft had that announcement that, you know, he was making a game of some sort someday for Xbox and everybody went wild because it doesn't matter. You know, it really is his um, uh, his grass plant growing mold gnat fighting video game that he's always wanted to make and Microsoft greenlit it. That's exactly it. Uh, interestingly enough, with that uh, fungus gnat game that he's making, I am co-producing as I have a stored experience in uh, fungus gnats. So uh, he, uh, he called it. me and uh, I picked up the phone. <laughs> Fantastic. So absolutely jam-packed pod. Uh, we should go before our listeners uh, fall off or just roll into another podcast. So let's do this again next week. Sounds good. See you later, everybody. Mm-hmm.